0: There's Crispy, and then there's Crispy-er. Try our new and improved Tyson Crispy Chicken Strips. Crispy just got crispy-er. Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Roden, and you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm coming to you from the ESPN studio in New York. I'm on the line with my co-host, Tucker Tool from Morehouse College.
1: Oh, I'm in Houston for the vacation right now, and it's a, little, it's a little warmer than Atlanta, but I'm happy to be back with my family for the holidays.
0: And Janae Adams from Clark Atlanta University is also on the line. Janae, what are you doing for the winter vacation?
2: Hi, Mr. Roden. Hi, Tucker. I'm back in California for the holidays with my family. It's pretty warm out here. It feels really good. So, yeah, I'm just here spending time with the family.
0: Oh, and Cali, good for you. <laughs> yep. Yeah, lucky. lucky. I know. You. Wow. Do they, do they still celebrate Christmas in California?
2: yeah, we don't have – it's never cold out here for Christmas, but we still do. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, well, uh, I'm going to go to Germany, visit my brother, um, who's an opera singer in Germany, so I'm going to spend the holiday season, uh, in Ulm, Germany, listening to him perform and some other stuff. Um, but I'll spare you the details. Uh, but I do want to hear about your experiences in Atlanta at the Air Force Reserve Celebration Bowl. Um, if the listeners aren't familiar, this is essentially an HBCU football championship where the best teams in the Mideast uh, Atlantic Conference and the Southwestern Conference go toe-to-toe. This year, returning champion of North Carolina A&T Aggies played the Alcorn State Braves, and they played at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta last weekend. And Janae and Tucker were there, along with senior sports writer for the undefeated Jerry Bimbrey and SWAT commissioner Charles McClellan. Uh, Bembry and McClellan are going to join us a little later in the show to discuss highlights from the game and why the celebration bowl is bigger than just football. But before we dive in, last week the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools Commission on Colleges announced that Bennett College, one of two HBCUs for women only, is on the verge of losing its accreditation. Now, schools lose accreditation for various reasons. In this case, Bennett is having difficulty paying off debts. A decision will be made in late February next year. If the commission rules against the Greensboro-based school, it may have to close its doors, and its nearly 500 students may have to go elsewhere for an education. Janae Adams, I know you recently wrote an article about this for The Undefeated. Uh, Can you say a little more about the situation and the reactions you heard?
2: Yes. So... Two years ago, in 2016, they were placed on probation um, over concerns about its finances, and it was extended to this year. And there's a rule that says that you only have two years to be on probation, and after the probation, the two years are up, you either are fully accredited or you lose all accreditation. So since the two years are up, they decided that they were going to lose accreditation, but Bennett decided to appeal the call. So in February, they will be um, going to a hearing about it to see if they can get their accreditation back. But in the meantime, they've been fundraising. They've made strides in the past two years in terms of fundraising and getting money back. But there's been a lot of support for them from people outside of Bennett, Amanda Seals on the show Insecure recently posted on Instagram um, hashtag Stan with Bennett in support of the school. And then Brendan Haywood, a former NBA player, reached out to me on Instagram to express support, too. And he was um shocked that the school is going through accreditation issues just because he's aware of the school and he's been there multiple times. And so, yeah, they're getting a lot of support from different people. So I feel like it will be positive that they will get their accreditation back.
0: Did you speak to any of the students? I mean, it's got to be, if you put yourself in a student situation like that, it has to be pretty disconcerting, unsettling to hear that your school might be closing. Did you speak to any students about how they felt?
2: Yeah, I spoke with a freshman at Bennett, and she was really concerned but they're all, she's saying that they're all in a lot of good spirits, but of course that there is kind of unsettling because, especially as a freshman, she just had a great first semester there. She enjoyed it. It's like a sisterhood to her and her and her friends. The faculty is really close knit and they all are proud to be Bennett Bell. So it's kind of scary for them. So that's why they're pushing so hard to fundraise and donate, spread the word so they can stay they can stay at the school. And then I'm also seeing support from their neighbor school, North Carolina A and T. They're literally right near each other. So there's been support from them as well. So I think that they're getting the message out there, but the current students they're definitely on their toes about the situation but they're trying to remain positive.
0: Tucker, how how's Borehouse responding
1: to this? Well what many people don't know is Bennett is in fact our sister school. So there's been a lot of um, support from different alumni associations and just students in general. And on social media, the hashtag Stand with Bennett has, you know, been raising a lot of attention with a lot of students and just uh, across the board from all HBCUs. So um, in terms of Morehouse, though, I know for a fact Morehouse is trying to raise some funds to, to try to help and support Bennett because that is our official sister college.
0: How do each of you feel um – you know, obviously everybody here attends an HBCU. Uh, Janae Tucker, how, how do you feel about the situation has been uh, just on a personal level? Well, for me, knowing, you know, the importance of HBCUs and
1: having most of my family members going to HBCUs, you know, it's sad to see because we're losing, you know, HBCUs left and right um, due to accreditation issues. So uh, I, I just feel like, you know, we need to stick together and support each other especially in this time of crisis, you know, with with Bennett being, you know, one of two of the only all-women HBCU schools, it's, it's definitely important that we, you know, raise awareness for this crisis that they're going through right now.
2: I agree, especially as a black woman. There's only two schools that are dedicated to the black women specific. Well, not the black, well, just women specifically, Spelman and them. And so they're always left out of that conversation. People only just talk about Spelman, but... You know, that school has a lot of rich history, and I think it'd be sad if, you know, they closed. I wrote in the article, they they helped, Dr. King came to the school and spoke there, which led to the sit-ins at the restaurants and things like that. It was a big conversation for the Civil Rights Movement, and Bennett helped that movement a lot. So there's a lot Mm. that goes into it. So I think on a historical level, and then just, even on a current state, um, speaking to some of the students that go there right now, they say it's. You know, it's a valuable experience being a Bennett Bell because of the sisterhood that they have there. So I really pray that they stay open.
0: Uh, this is actually a good segue into our discussion about the impact of the Celebration Bowl. Now, proponents of the game say that the game can help boost the image and enrollment of HBCUs. Roden Fellow Isaiah George at Morgan State University, which is my alma mater, recently reported that since the North Carolina AT Aggies began playing in the championship game in 2016, enrollment has increased. Now, a is the largest HBCU in the country, and it's in the NEAC. Here to tell us how SWAC schools are impacted by the game is Southwestern Conference Commissioner Dr. Charles McClellan. Uh, welcome to the show, Commissioner. Hey, thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Uh, what did you think about this year's game? Um, Uh, A lot of folks are saying that Alcorn State was robbed. (laughs) Well, you know, it was a very good game. It came down
3: to a two-point conversion. Unfortunately, the two-point conversion did not go Alcorn State's way. We're not going to cry about it. It is what it is, and we're not going to do anything but lick our wounds and come back and try to get it next year. That's the good thing about the Celebration Bowl. We're going to have another opportunity to win it again next year. How were the ratings for this year's game? From what I understand, the ratings, uh, again, was pretty good. Uh, they haven't put out the official ratings at this point in time. I know last year we ranked 18th out of all of the uh, bowls, and I think we were in the top five of the all of the bowls that happened before uh, the, the New Year's Eve bowls. And that's ultimately what, you judge the success of the bowl from, and that is viewership and eyes. So for it to be the first bowl game out on ABC, and from my understanding, the the second largest viewed bowl uh, before you get to that certain point is the bowl that came out of ours, which was the Las Vegas Bowl. And according to uh, the experts at ESPN, their numbers uptick is – One reason of that is because everybody is watching the Celebration Bowl and continues to watch uh, the Las Vegas Bowl. So not only does it help influence our numbers, it influenced the second bowl as well. So I think we're pretty strong, and I think with competitive games as we've had this year and years prior, it will continue to do better each and every year.
0: Clearly the Celebration Bowl is more than a bowl game, but there would be no impact without the game. Here to discuss the highs and the lows of the game is senior undefeated sports writer, Jerry Bembry. Hey, Jerry, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, it's always a pleasure, man. I, I, I'm going to start off the question. I know Janae and uh, you, you talked to Janae and Tucker down there, but let's, let's get right to the point. Did, did A&T steal the game? Oh no, they didn't. They
4: didn't steal the game. They
0: they won that game uh,
4: outright. I, I There was a controversial call um late in the game. It was on a two point. Con- uh, it was on a conversion where the receiver clearly bobbled the ball out of bounds, and that would have tied the game. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a stolen game at all. It was a legit. um It was you know A and t jumped out early on and and held on at the end. Noah, uh, Noah Johnson did a good job of of trying to get Alcorn stay back in the game, but. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a controversial ending at all. Not by any means.
5: Jerry, I know you you told me that this this was your first time attending the celebration Bowl. So, what what did you think about just the experience of the HBCU national championship, and how does it compare or differ from you know other games that you've covered in the past?
4: I mean, this is you know I've, I've covered many bowl games. I've covered you know Fiesta Bowl, uh, you know some other major bowl games, and. I mean, it was a good vibe. It's, it's a good look for HBCU schools, for, you know, the the, the supporters to come out there. Uh, I know North Carolina A&T looking on their part of the stand, and they represented very well, and Alcorn State had a nice little gathering as well. So, you know, I think it's a good idea to have these these two conferences get together at the end of the year and have something, you know. I, I forgot who wrote the story last week uh, basically outlining that schools make the decision to come to this bowl game as opposed to going to the uh, NCAA playoffs. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's a good choice. I mean, you get to play for something that is a big championship. And uh, I think the players, uh, they all said that they really support this effort and, and the coaches support this. And uh, it's just a good look to get that national TV exposure um, and to play, in, you know, in, a, in a, a major league stadium in front of a good crowd.
5: And And speaking on exposure and viewership, I know you reported there were over 31,000 people there. What did you think about the energy? And I know NCAT came deep. They had a, they had a lot of people come support. So what would you think about the energy in the stadium?
4: Well, you know, I, I mentioned 31,000. I don't know if it was legit 31,000, but, uh, you know, they announced the crowd. Um, but, I, again, A&T, man, do they represent so well. I mean, I'm looking at their part of the crowd, and it was mostly full. And, um, you know, I, I just think it was great energy in the whole building. Uh, for the whole game, especially after the game got tight in the second half. You know, at the beginning when when, when the Aggies came out and scored immediately, uh, you thought it was going to be a blowout. And, um, you know, give Alcorn State a lot of credit uh, for the major comeback that they did to just bring it down to, you know, the final moments of the game. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was a close game. And, you know, a lot of these HBCU uh, Celebration Bowl championships have been hardly fought the game, so uh, credit to these kids for putting on a good show.
2: So after the game when I was, you know, covering for social with the players like for NCAT, they kept saying that we're gonna this is no longer the celebration bowl. It should be renamed the NCAT Invitational, the Aggie Invitational. Hmm. Do you think it's crazy? <laughs> you think it's almost accurate? What do you think?
4: Oh, it's you know, the the one thing um, in, in college sports is everything goes in cycles. So uh, the Aggies are on top now, but it might be another MEAC team that takes their place next year. So, you know, I'm sure that them being in this game and uh, them getting that exposure helps them with their recruiting. When they go out there and recruit a kid, they say, hey, you have a good opportunity to go to Celebration Bowl every year if you come to our school. That's going to help them get better players. But, again, everything goes in cycles. You know, Howard might be up next year. Uh, It might be Florida A&M. Uh, you know, it, it, North Carolina A&T, in a lot of ways, you could say they were pretty lucky. They the, Everything kind of fell in place at the end of the season because it seemed like there was another school that was going to the bowl game and not them. And they needed some other teams to lose games. So, um, you know, yeah, they've, they've been to, what is it, four out of five uh, of the Celebration Bowl games. Uh, yeah. But I'm not going to say it, it's their invitational. Not by any means, you know. Uh, like again, it, it may not be their year next year. They're going to lose their quarterback and their star running back, and it could be a completely different ball game next year.
0: Hey, Jay, what's your? And, you, you've been, you, you've speaking, covered, uh, you've covered a lot of bowl games or, or during your career. What's your strategy for covering bowl games as opposed to just regular season games?
4: You know, it's it's and it's been a, a few years since I covered uh, bowl games. You know, when I was at the Baltimore Sun, I used to cover bowl games every year, um, and. You know, back then, Penn State was a major team, and I used to cover Penn State football for the Baltimore Suns. So every time they went to a bowl game, I was I was following them. You know, the, the strategy is that the stakes are higher. You know, this is, for a lot of these kids, this is their final game. The exposure is bigger with the national TV audience. Um, you know, the atmosphere, the excitement, the following. So it's a neutral ground state a game as opposed to when somebody's home field. So, uh, I just think the whole environment and atmosphere is completely different. It brings a new level of excitement, uh, and it gets you really hyped to cover a game like that. You know, um, I hadn't seen uh, HBCU football game, you know, live all season, uh, but I was excited to be there and excited to be in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the first time and, and to see what a beautiful place that was. Excited to see the fans outside in the tailgate and the fans on the uh, the lower levels week, you know, just partying and having a good time and really being proud of their school. So uh, it, it was great. It was a great atmosphere. And I, I, I kind of tie it all to other bowl games I've been to. I think they're all the same. You know, the alumni uh, are really happy to be there and happy to be part of a winning tradition. Did you go into the, that, into the I, after parties? You know, I did I did not, no. Um,
0: you Come know on, Bill, when, when I was a little younger, <laughs> I, I
4: probably went on to a lot of them you know these days i just want to go get a nice dinner afterwards so uh, it was a low key it was a low key weekend for me you know the the, the weather in, in atlanta was was cold and and rainy and under different circumstances i probably would have done different things but um you know there was a lot of activity in the hotel with the bar and to mingle with people so that was a good enough for me um uh but yeah i'm gonna leave the after party to those young kids those those fellas <laughs> <laughs> and let them handle the business that I was handling years ago. So
1: <laughs> I know I know you just spoke on some of the teams that would have been in, in the celebration bowl instead of NCAT, But who who would you
4: want to see beat A and I mean obviously I'm I'm a journalist. I don't I don't look for I don't root for anybody to beat anybody unless it's the New York Knicks. I'm a Knicks fan. Now we root for them to win a game, which means I'm I'm not getting what I want most of the time, but no, I mean, it's the thing about covering games like this is that you go and you just, you know, you don't you don't have a rooting interest. You In the back of your mind, you might want to see a team that you want to win, um, but you can't have a rooting interest. And so I, all I wanted to see was a good game. And I was disappointed early when it when it was 17-3 to and it seemed like it was going to be a blowout. And I was excited late. You know, I, in the third quarter, I had wrote my lead in my story. And then Alcorn State came and scored a touchdown. And then I had to rip that up. And, and come back with something different, you know, so uh, I just want to see a good game and it turned out to be a good game in the second half. So as a journalist, that's all you can want from a football game or, or any sporting event
1: that you cover. Gary, I recently wrote an article leading up to the celebration bowl about players who are in the NFL that went to HBCUs. And I know we saw a lot of talented guys on the field Saturday uh, on the 15th. So, who would you say were some of the key players on, on both sides and, and what did you think about those guys?
4: You know, I, I was impressed with Lamar Reynard. Um speaking to him after the game, his size. I mean he's you know, he's a tall kid and you know, he's what you would want in an NFL player. You know, he's he's got great size and I don't know if he's gonna get the chance to play quarterback and get a good look at that level. I hope he does, because you know, every kid has aspirations of playing a position that they've come up to through their whole career, um, but you know, you you would hope that he would get a, a, a good look. You know, his teammate uh, uh, Marquel Cartwright didn't have a good game at all, but I think that he's been a punishing runner all season, and I, I think that you know maybe he gets a look at NFL level. But yeah, I think with with with, with Lamar, maybe it's a, 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 a opportunity for him, and they always kind of spot the black quarterbacks towards the wide receiver lot, route. I think he would welcome any opportunity to get into the league. Uh And then, you know, once you get there, you can prove yourself in other positions. But uh, I think any of these kids would just have the opportunity to, to get that chance. You know, I, I did the story of Noah Johnson going into the game, and he was a guy who had played quarterback throughout high school. And when it came time to uh play um in the college level, he didn't get those looks. And Alcorn State was the one school that said, hey, you know what, come – and play quarterback for us, and he's done a really nice job in his career. I just look at his size, though, and he's like five nine. And when I spoke to him, he said that, you know, he's, he roots for guys like, you know, Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, guys who are really small, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they inspired him. I, I think it might be more of a difficult look for him to get that opportunity playing quarterback at the next level.
2: Speaking of him, he played – um he finished out the game – on last Saturday, with the pulled hamstring, he got it. he pulled his hamstring during that two point conversion. What do you think that says about like you know his strength and resilience through playing on injury? When that
4: happened in the game, you know they had one more drive after that, and he had ran the ball well up until that point in the second half. And then that next drive, he handed off I think three straight times, uh, and then he rolled out the pass on I think the third down or whatever. Uh, but that that could have had an impact on the game right there. The fact that he couldn't you know, lead the way in a healthy way in that last drive. But, I mean, you know, hey, a gutsy effort on his part. You know, it's it, you You really feel bad for a kid to, to get to that situation. You get your team back in the ball game, and then, you know, you have to, you know, pull up with an injury late. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just too bad. It's, it's bad circumstances. Not, not a lot of people spoke about that after the game, but I think that had an impact on their last drive, the fact that he couldn't move and couldn't help his team move the ball.
0: Jerry, uh, before we let you go, and this has nothing to do, I mean, Janae, of course, Janae—with a great insight that nobody talked about with the injury. But that raises a question. This has nothing to do with HBCU, but, you know, Cam Newton was uh, clearly uh, injured in their last game. And some people raise the question of when a star athlete or an athlete is hurt, should, should the athlete remove himself or herself from the game? If it's going to adversely affect the team, some people say, "Well, if you're the star, you got to hang in there." But what do you think about that? In the years you have covered stuff, should you know when you when, there's a heroic effort, but then when your heroic effort hurts your team, what do you what do you stand on that? Do you think that Scottie Camp should say, "Listen, I can't go. I'm hurting my team," or you just go down with the ship?
4: You know, Cam's got that right shoulder uh, injury right now, and, uh, you know, I give him credit for getting it out last night. And But you can see his throws were slightly off. I think in Cam's mind, he's looking at it like, you know what, we have a very slim shot of making the playoffs, and this is what I play for all the time is to get into the postseason and, and then maybe we can get back to the Super Bowl. So, you know, I, I'm not going to fault him for playing, but at this point now I think they have a 1% chance of making the postseason. If I'm Cam, I'm saying I want to play maybe because I I believe in that 1%, but if I'm the team, I'm saying, you know what? You're not, we're not going to make the postseason. Let's shut you down because you are our future quarterback and let's, let's, you know, just let you try to heal up. And if you need surgery, let you have surgery in the postseason and bring you back fresh next year. So if I'm the team, I'm shutting Cam down. Cam might have something different in the back of his mind, but uh, if I'm the team, I'm doing that. Now, Kind of related to that, you look at bowl games now, there are certain players who are saying, you know what, I'm thinking about my NFL future right now, so I'm not going to try to get hurt in the bowl game. They're pulling themselves out. And I think that's becoming more and more of a trend right now. And, um, you know, it could could be a point where we get to a national championship game and we find a kid or two who are seniors in that game who are saying – yeah, maybe it might be wise for me to just shut it down. And, and maybe you don't do it in a national championship game, but if you're playing in, say, the the Rose Bowl or the, the Fiesta Bowl or the, the bowl games that aren't championship games, you might say, let me shut it down because I don't want to risk my career going into the NBA. I mean, mm-hmm. the NFL, excuse me.
0: Yeah, you know, it's very pragmatic. Uh, even when you look at the Celebration Bowl, it's different because a lot of these kids, this is going to be their, you know, their big shot. Their, one time playing in a great stadium, you know, they they probably need every exposure they can get. But you're right. When you look at the power five schools and the kids saying, listen, I've given you my blood, sweat. that's it. I'm shutting it down because I've already given you, you know, a lot for free. Why am I going to keep going?
4: Yeah, yeah.
0: And like, like I said, on a college level,
4: if you're playing for the championship, you probably are going to play because that's that one moment. You may never have that moment in life again. To win a championship, you want to be on the field. But if you're the number five team in the nation and you're playing in the Rose Bowl and, you know, your career is valuable and you've you helped that team get that far, I might think that maybe I might sit this one out because the NFL is the one league, you know, Major League Baseball has guaranteed contracts. NBA has guaranteed contracts. NFL is the league that has those players on board. You know, the average career might be four or five years if that much. And then you are you are easily dismissed if you have any sign of an injury. Uh, so you have to think about you and your future earnings. Then, yeah, I, if, if I'm playing in a lesser bowl game than a national championship, I, I really might think about shutting it down uh, and, and gear myself up for the NFL draft so that I can be healthy and put myself in a position to make as much money as I can early on.
1: I do have one more question before you go. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, I'd like to know your 2019 Celebration Bowl predictions. Who do you think will – be in the oh, game next year. <laughs> oh, I don't
4: know. I, I mean, you know, a and <laughs> they're, they're losing their star quarter, uh, quarterback and running back. You know, uh, Alcorn State losing key players. It's hard to tell. At this level, it's hard to tell. It's not like we're seeing this long list of recruiting classes like we do in the top football teams. That You, you can say that Alabama has the, the number one recruiting class coming in next year. We don't really know that about HBCU, so it's really kind of hard to gauge that who's going to be better next year. And I've been around HBCU basketball enough years to know that that stuff can change in a moment. So I'm sure that in basketball, it's the same thing. You lose one or two players and key positions, and you might go from first place to seventh place in your league. So it's really hard to gauge at that level.
0: Hey, Jerry, thanks so much, man. It's been, it's been great. We always love having you on the show. Uh, you had a lot of insight, um, you know, good stuff from the Celebration Bowl. And, uh, you know, on to the next adventure. But thanks so much, yeah. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem at all. Anytime, anytime,
4: guys. You guys take it easy. All right. Happy holidays. Thank you. You too.
0: Uh, before we move on in the show, there is a burning cultural issue that the fellows want to discuss, and it involves someone uh, making claim to being the king of R and B. What's his name? Jaques, Jaques, or, or Joe Cole, <laughs> Joker, uh, Janae? Could you tell us what the issue is?
2: Yes, so Jaques, he's been around since like around 2015. He's had a lot of hit remixes. He's a he pretty much remixes everyone's song and makes it better. That's what he's known for. He's only had probably about two hit songs that were actually his. Um, that song with Day's Love, In the Club, and then there was another song, Come Through with Rich Homie Kwan. But pretty much he came out and said on Twitter that he's the he's today's king of R&B. He didn't say of all time. He said today's king of R&B, which is still not true. But it got a lot of the older R&B artists mad. Like Tank was upset. Um, Tyrese was upset. And recently he just was he just ran to Keith Sweat and disrespected Keith Sweat to his face and told him that he is the king of R and B in front of Keith Sweat. So a lot of people have been, you know, talking about and debating who's the king of R and B. So yeah, Tucker, what, what do you think about it?
5: Well, I know he wouldn't be disrespectful to to call well, to say he's the king of R and B of all time. And I still think it's a little disrespectful for him to say he's the king of R and B now because there have been there have been so many great singers. But I I just think he was doing this for a little bit of attention, you know. Like 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 we said, all of his songs that are good and well known are remixed of other people's work. So we 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 know that Jackqueez isn't the the king of R and B, and I think he was really doing this for publicity.
2: I agree.
0: Well, it seems like it worked.
2: <laughs> it definitely did work, and it did spark
5: debate. Because we're talking about it right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, mission accomplished, right? I mean, in this era, you say something, throw it out, and see what people think. Uh, we're going to leave that there, but going from from the ridiculous to the I don't know what you call this. Uh, Cardi <laughs> B and all. Uh, Janay, could you kind of update us with the, the latest, the latest saga?
2: of cardi b and offset yes so last week cardi b took to instagram to say that she's about to divorce offset because he cheated on her again again is the key word he's cheated numerous times that we know of and so she said that she's going to divorce him on instagram so his birthday was last week and he took to instagram to publicly say he's sorry he wants her back and then he didn't leave it there he took it she had a concert performance she was the headliner at the rolling loud performance in la and he came onto the stage with flowers and with that said take me back cardi and yeah he interrupted the whole performance to do all this so yeah that's pretty much what happened i think that the whole thing was you know, harassment and manipulative. I don't think it was romantic at all. Um, After the, Cardi looked very upset on stage when he did that, and then, you know, he got escorted off. But after the whole thing, Cardi went to Instagram and was like, well, I miss being intimate with Offset, and, you know, I still have love for him, and you guys can't speak bad about my baby dad. So, I don't know. It's a lot. It's interesting, to say the least. But what do you guys think about it?
1: No, honestly, I don't think what he did was was the best strategy at all. Um, maybe if he would have bought her a car and drove it on stage or drove it to the concert, I know that would have been something. Because she bought him a car for his birthday, and I know it, this situation is is just it's it's funny to me. It's just very funny.
2: <laughs> yeah, what do you think, Mr. Roden?
0: No, I told you, I think they're both crazy, but. You know, again in this environment, it seems like like you said, Janae, he was very manipulative. I mean, him doing all this stuff, it was all it was about him. It wasn't about her. It was about him. Um, yeah. But you know, you have to work these things out. Who knows? Maybe they'll be they'll be together for forty more years.
2: Yeah. Mm, we'll see. <laughs>
0: yeah, We shall. We That's shall. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think that they'll get back together. But well, I don't know about being married for a You
0: think they should stay married? I don't know how long that'll last.
2: I mean, honestly, what I've seen with the situation, I think she won't divorce him because she loses money. They didn't. She didn't sign a prenup. So mm. that was her big mistake because she didn't become yeah, famous heard. really until after they got married. So they were like, she could lose half and of her money.
1: And not- I... I think that's another reason why Offset was saying, take me back as well, because he knows that she makes more money than him rapping and he's a rapper. So
2: mm, I don't think that you don't think so. I don't think he, she makes more. She, he know Offset's career will last longer than Cardi's. Offset's a part of a music group that makes a lot of money. They have endorsements. Cardi, I'm
5: saying long, long longevity wise yes he he's, he's made more money but more, more most recently Cardi's made more money because of her popularity. No,
2: nah, you're forgetting the fact that you're forgetting the fact that Migos song was used for the NBA um, All-Star weekend like their music has been used for like every sporting team. Did the Major League Baseball used their music. Like he gets a check. Cardi is based off of booking appearances and things like that. His stuff is I don't know.
5: They still play Cardi's music uh, a lot as well, but no, I, I completely understand.
2: Yeah, like all them girls he's cheating on her with, they all got money too, so I'll say, I'll say make more. Well,
0: I, I, you know, again, I think they're both crazy, but they're both crazy like a fox. They're making money, both of them making money, young people with money, and they're just preparing themselves for probably the relationship they really want in 10 years. So <laughs> stay tuned. Um we're, we're gonna we're gonna leave the conversation there, and uh, we love to hear your opinions about the show. Tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Rodenfellows. You can also share any comments or issues you think we should cover. You can also contact us directly. You can find me at W C Roden. That's W C R H O D E N. That's my Twitter handle.
1: And you can find me on Instagram at tuck. T fifty two that's T U C K T five
2: two. And I'm on both Twitter and the gram at Janae and Adams. That's J A N A E N A D A M S.
0: Thank you so much, Janae. You're sure. You're you're on Twitter and Instagram.
2: <laughs> I'm on both. <laughs> oh yeah. And once again, Mr. Rhodes still has not followed me. So I'm just gonna put that out there again.
0: Oh wow! Put it on, on blast. Okay, I'll she do just it. She put as- you on blast, Mister Roden. She just put you on blast. <laughs> thanks, man. All right, since you back. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. Bla- blasting me on my own podcast. God. <laughs> this show is produced by the wonderful Aaron Mathewson and Roden Fellow Tiffany Hoy. Uh, special thanks to Tarika Foster Brasby and Kyrie Williams. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as the plug. The right time with Gimani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.